0: gritty of life that you have called us to be in the middle of day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. And how you use it to develop your heart within us, a heart for the world to see the world's needs up close and use the solution to it, for you to conform us more completely into your image and the way that you use it to force us to grow and our relationship with you in a way that we would probably never choose otherwise. And we thank you for this quiet place in the middle of all of this that you have provided us to come aside, to worship you, to study your word, to receive from you, and to be equipped for the coming week and to be equipped for the rest of our life in many regards. And we pray, Lord, that You would work in that way by Your Holy Spirit through Your Word tonight as we continue to worship You in the study of it. And we pray and we ask these things. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. Good evening to you. I'm glad you're here tonight. And um, as we turn to John uh, chapter 4, Go through genesis to revelation on sunday nights i know that there's a lot of people who um, of necessity they will tune into the services um, online uh, for a wide variety of reasons and i'm not saying this to be in any way comparative in a way that's negative toward them at all but the bible does say that that we're not to forsake the assembling together of the saints there's something about your presence as a Christian in every church service that you go to, in every gathering of saints, that just you being there edifies the group. And I know that you feel like uh, the way that I feel is I see so many of you that I don't know well, and, uh, but week in and week out I see you and i see you're navigating the same world that i am with the same trials that i face and all and yet you continue you continue and what an encouragement that that, that is continuing to grow in the lord continue to draw close uh, to the lord and so the impact is is very very uh, important and i and i'm glad you're here and i'm glad that you're doing that there's a reason there are hardly any sunday night services in bodesto that uh, gets crowded out by a lot of different things, but the importance of it is really important. So we pick things up in chapter 4, verse 46, and following uh, Jesus' ministry among the Samaritans at the city of Sychar in Samaria. And so we're told that Jesus then came uh, from uh, that southern area of, of Judea And he comes up to Cana, verse 46 of Galilee. He comes from the north to the south uh, where he had made the water wine, his first miracle. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick. So he is, uh, and his son was sick at Capernaum, the the location of their home. Being a nobleman, he is probably an official of King Herod. So he has money, he has wealth, he has power. Uh, he has position, but he 's just like everybody else in this world that sooner or later we run into something in our life that is bigger than our resources, no matter how great our resources are and He had a lot of resources for him, that greater thing that he runs into is the sickness of his son, and his son is nigh unto death and 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 it 's going to be used by God to bring him. To Jesus for the help that he needs in in the healing uh, of of his son. Some people don't face, uh, and they really there there are people in life. I don't know how many of them, but they they are born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and they die with a silver spoon in their mouth. And and until the day of their death, uh, as it approaches without any facing perhaps the first thing in the course of their life that is greater than their resources and their ability to fix is this death now that is right at at their door. Life is intended just in the way that it is And, and in all of the different ways that it is is to bring us to Christ. It is bigger than all of us. So He's to be commended Uh, for doing exactly that. He's a a man of prominence. Uh, There is still, even in these early days in Jesus' ministry, a price to be paid for approaching him. And uh, and he's willing to do that uh, as a Jewish official for King Herod in Capernaum. So he makes the 20-mile journey from Capernaum uh, to the city of Cana in order to intercede uh, on behalf of his son and when he had heard that jesus had come out of judea down in the south into galilee the north he went to him and he implored him now implored is a a desperation word so it's not a um uh, it's not just a word on a page when you see someone uh, a grown man especially but i don't want to limit it in that way when you see a grown man uh, uh, humbled by life circumstances and and now comes to god and implores him pleads with him uh, for his need and he pleaded with jesus specifically to come down and heal his son because he was at the point of uh, death so he's operating under two misconceptions or limited understands uh, understanding of jesus he is operating under the understanding uh, that Jesus has to be physically present to heal, and that uh, Jesus can only heal. That once death becomes a part of His Son's life, then it'll be beyond even Jesus' ability to address. So He has faith, but there's limitations on, on that faith. And Jesus said to him, "...unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe." And the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, "Uh, Go your way, your son lives. And so the man uh, believed Jesus' promise for the healing of his son. The word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way toward home. And as he was going down, his servants met him. As you might imagine, the excitement. And they said, Your son lives and then he required inquired of them the hour that he got better and they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour about one in the afternoon the fever left him and the, so the father knew that it was that very same hour at which jesus said to him your son lives and he himself believed uh, now not for the miracle but believed in jesus uh, as messiah uh, believed for salvation and, uh, and so at that particular point, they believed he and his whole household. And this again is the second sign Jesus did uh, when he had come out of Judea uh, into uh, Galilee. So it's very much a, uh, a straightforward uh, miracle, as miracles <laughs> straightforward related to Jesus, but as we see them recorded in the Scriptures. But there's something about that verse 48 that it it makes us stop and it makes us pause because there's something here about this man's approach and in his approach and the Jewish people in general, uh, it is not that uh, that troubles Jesus. It is not that, Jesus, that he that uh, he was approached that troubled Jesus. Jesus has no trouble uh, problem with being. Uh, approached. It is how he was approached, not only by this man, but by the the Jews in general. And he said, unless you people, so now he's talking not just to the man, but to uh, a larger group of Jewish people, unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Uh, You will by no means believe. And what Jesus is condemning here is um, the fact that the Jewish people continually um, demanded miracles of Jesus. They wanted a faith uh, in Him based upon miracles, uh, as opposed, and miracles of their choosing. If you go through the Gospels, the Jews were always asking for miracles, 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 as a A basis of faith if you do this then we will we will trust in you uh, as messiah they did it all the way to the moment jesus is hanging on the cross and they said to him if you come down off of that cross we will believe in you all the way to his dying breast. They're asking for a miracle uh, of their choosing to prove that he's the Messiah and then the promise that they will put their faith in him, which by and large uh, didn't uh, didn't happen, uh, even though he uh, gave them the miracles that they wanted more often than not. So here is this man and here are these people They believe in Him enough that He is able to do this miracle, but they don't believe Him enough to trust in Him as their Messiah. And that troubled Him. Because the implication is, if He is able to meet these needs, And and the way that he was meeting them among the Jewish people, the way that he was meeting him uh, in this person's life, you you really can't take Jesus and just put him in the category of miracle worker. Because you look and you say, what kind of unique person in all of human history can do miracles like this? Who other than Jesus in human history even remotely approaches what what he has done on this earth? And so the conclusion has to be more than he's just merely a miracle worker. Why can't he do these miracles? And then the answer to that question uh, will be, does he remain in solely the miracle worker category, or is he something larger than that? The miracles were done to attest to his claims, to be the promised Messiah of uh, of the Jews and the promised Savior of the entire world. They wanted Jesus to keep doing things and doing things and doing things and then, uh, but were unwilling to take that final step. Even this man here, he believed Jesus' word about the healing that was gonna be accomplished related to his son, but it was only after the miracle then that he believed into Jesus for salvation and then the family as well. And there's this great tendency that can Occur. And here is Jesus. He comes from Samaria, the despised the, the Samaritans in the eyes of the Jews. He did not do a miracle in their midst. The entire village trusted in him as Messiah based upon what? His word, based upon his teaching, which is, is the highest basis for faith and faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And very, very often, you see, uh, uh, people, they, they will uh, hear w- with Jesus. Their, their entire relationship with Jesus is, um, this is what I need in my life right now. And I need you to do this, this miracle. And uh, if God doesn't come through with a miracle that they want on their terms, then they'll take their ball and they'll go home. And, uh, and now I'm not going to follow him. Now I'm not going to trust in Him. Uh, and, 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 and the relationship becomes very shallow and it becomes a, a, a very superficial and, and very weak. And so here, here is this, uh, this thing that Jesus uh, rebukes. The willingness to come to Him in, in, for, uh, is all kinds of different things that are wonderful things in their own right. But, but not to then recognize Him as the Son of God and, and as God the Son. And you see relationships I have through the years that are as conditional as the faith of, of this man and, and anybody else. Jesus disappointed. He didn't come through when I asked Him to come through and do what it is that He wanted me to do. I'm going to take my ball home and, and I'm done with this. And that displeases Jesus. All the way through the Gospels, you see that Jesus' strongest words were reserved for the Jewish religious leaders. Um, he, when He spoke to the multitudes, like this group, He's very gentle, very encouraging. So when you see something like this that troubles Him in this way, then it gets our uh, attention. And so the Lord Jesus, He's worthy of our faith. He's worthy uh, of our worship and our trust no matter what he does or he doesn't do uh, in terms of the miraculous in our life. He has already done the ultimate miracle in, in, in our lives as Christians in the form of that spiritual birth. If he lengthens your leg, if he heals you of cancer, if he heals you of whatever, if he, if he drops $10 billion onto your lap in the course of your life, none of those things will compare to the miracle that's already been accomplished in our life in that spiritual birth because you can't buy that for all the money in the world and and that's the greatest need and the everlasting life that that comes uh, with it and so this this beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, not only miracle that Jesus does here but then the lesson associated with it that we can learn from it as well. And after this, chapter 5, there was a feast of the Jews. We don't know which of the three uh, Jewish feasts of the, of the Jewish religious calendar it was. Uh, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. But John mentions it. He doesn't tell us which feast, but he mentions that it's a feast, which means that Jerusalem would be jammed with people. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, every Jewish male in the land of Israel, according to the law of Moses, uh, was to attend these three feasts. Uh, annually, whether they brought their family or not that was another issue but they were to come so it would be a massive number of people there and there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five uh, porches and so uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem the focus narrows down now uh, to the pools, uh, uh, pools of Bethesda in, in Jerusalem. We're told it's by the Sheep Gate. For those of you who have been to Israel, that's very uh, close to what is the modern-day uh, Lion's Gate. And it's called the sheep's gate because the sheep were kept outside uh, of that gate. And that's where the sheep would be then brought into the immediacy of the temple and then be sacrificed related to uh, the offerings aco- according to uh, the law of Moses. And uh, Bethesda means house of mercy or house of, uh, of pity. And of course we have uh, Bethesda Naval Hospital for our uh, military veterans. And what a beautiful name to have a, a Bethesda Naval Hospital. Um, the House of Mercy, uh, the House of Pity. I don't, ha- uh, you know, good luck uh, naming anything uh, today by a biblical name, but I'm glad it, it stuck and it would probably cost them too much to change the name today. But I don't put it beyond them. But, uh, but this is the heart of that hospital, that it would be a healing place. But with a nod to God. And so, here at this pool of Bethesda, it had five porches, so overhang, shade, protection uh, around the pool, and in these lay a great multitude of sick people, uh, blind and lame and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. This is the reason there was this great congregation of Uh, of people and and, in physical need. They were waiting for the moving of the water for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease uh, that he had. So this was uh, the account. This was the belief of the people. And, uh, And so you've got anytime you have people that have uh, no hope, humanly speaking, uh, for themselves in terms of their own healing and in their physical needs, and uh, there is any, anybody offers even a remote hope uh, for them. People will congregate there. They will travel to other nations and other cities in order to do so. And so you've got this great mass of people, all of the coughing and, and all of the diseases and all the running sores and all of the smells, all of it is there. And, there, and it's a scene of complete hopelessness, except for the belief among the people that periodically an angel would touch the water and whoever got into the water first would then be healed uh, of, of their uh, 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 a disease that they had. Now, there's a, a lot of mystery, at least for me, uh, surrounding all of this. I don't understand it completely, so it goes in my, what Pastor Chuck Smith used to call, his more information needed file. I have one of those files uh, as well. So you have some scholars, they they cite the fact that verses 3 and uh, the last part of verse 3 and then verse 4, they're absent from many of the ancient manuscripts. For instance, if you're reading an NIV tonight, you don't see those verses in, uh, in, in the NIV. Uh, NIV. They follow those those ma- uh, manuscripts. And so uh, they believe that this was uh, added later into the text by a scribe who was trying to uh, provide an understanding and a context for verse 7 uh, when the man spoke about nobody putting me into the water. And so in, in order to provide clarity to us, this was added there in the form of uh, of verse 4 and to explain the reason for the, the, this needy crowd gathering around uh, the pool. And again, is an explanation for verse 7. Now, uh, the skepticism uh, it, 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 that God would be involved in this kind of a scene uh, it, it, in kind of creating, number one, such a limited hope for people, uh, not only just one person out of a mass of people being saved, and then, but then making it based upon competition. Uh, it, it would be the healthiest, the strongest, that would have uh, the greatest opportunity to do so. So if there could any, be anything more miserable than a scene of all of these hopeless bodies looking for a miraculous cure uh, to their diseases, the only way you can make that scene worse is then get them to view everybody else on that scene as their enemy as their competition to being the first one uh, into uh, the, the pool. And, uh, and so uh, some scholars look at this and, and, uh, and they, they come to the conclusion it doesn't look like God and, uh, and there's a lot to commend that view. Uh, additionally, you know, this rewarding of the first one to get into the water uh, and, and rewarding only the strongest certainly runs contrary to Jesus' teaching and that the first shall be last and the last shall be, uh, be, be first. On the other hand, you have other Bible scholars that contend that the statement of the man in verse 7, it wouldn't make any sense uh, without verses 3 and 4 already being uh, there in the passage. And so uh, they raise the question of why a man would remain uh, around that pool endeavoring to be healed for 38 years if there wasn't in fact uh some truth to uh the fact that healings did occur uh, around that uh, around that pool and so whatever a person might uh position a person might have concerning the belief in the moving of the waters it doesn't keep us from learning what john wants us to learn here about jesus and and uh uh, and uh, we're thankful for that. The passage, the point is, is independent uh, of that. And so here's this man. He's described to us in verse 5. Certain man uh, who was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. We don't know that he lied by the pool for 38 years, but probably for, uh, if not all of that, for a considerable length of time. So he's got a disease. He's got an, an infirmity that he's had for thirty. years. Eight years. How many of you are not even 38 years old in the room? And so that's a long time to have a disease. We'll find out later that the disease that he has, he has picked up because of sin in his life. Now, not all disease, of course, uh, ties back to sin in a person's life. We're fallen. Our bodies are... Uh, we're going to. Most of us are going to end up, barring the rapture, going to heaven based upon the last thing that we get uh, sick with. And, and so there, there's that element. But his disease was a product of, uh, uh, of his, his sin, as we'll see. So here he's been 38 years uh, wanting this, this uh, recognizing his, his need, and, uh, and, and he finds himself around that pool. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, "Uh, do you want to be made well? So Jesus ignores the entire pool scene. And he does what we see him continually do in the Gospels, and that is to identify the person with the greatest need in that particular environment, and then go and meet that need. So he goes directly to him, Knows that he's been in this condition a long time, and he poses a question to him Do you want to be made well? Now that's quite a question to ask of somebody who's been in that condition for 38 years. Do you want to be made well? I mean, you can read it and almost think it's cruel. What do you think? Of course, I want to be made well. But it's not as dumb a question as uh, sometimes uh, we can think. And, uh, uh, and not everybody wants to be made uh, as well as they would contend that they want to be made well. And so Jesus uh, looks like a foolish question, but he poses it uh, nonetheless. And why does he pose it? Apparently, it's important that he does. There's a reason uh, for it. Maybe this man needed to be confronted with um, the his absolute inability in a fresh way to provide for himself the one thing that he longed for most physically Uh, maybe it was to make him think about also the new responsibilities and that would immediately become a part of his life if he were made uh well there are people in this world i don't know that they can be numbered who do not want to leave their broken condition because it's all they know or because it would immediately make them responsible uh, to live a life that is different from the one that they've become comfortable with as broken as it is. There would have to be a return to discipline, a return to becoming a responsible and a productive member uh, of, of society. And spiritually speaking, there's a whole world of people uh, who uh, their sin, their addiction uh, to sin, bondage to sin has landed them in a quality of life that is no better than this man's portion. And yet, they won't give up their sin. They don't want to change their life in the face of God's offer to save them and make them a new creation. And so the necessity of this question, "Do you want to be made uh, well?" is testified to the sheer, uh, to by the sheer number of people who choose to remain unsaved, no matter how awful their life becomes. Because even when uh, it, it is offered, not only heaven one day, but abundant life uh, now, uh, it is refused. Do you think about how many friends or family members each of us know and they're huddled around uh, this pool, the pool of rotting humanity, the pool of... Of, uh, in their own life, the consequences uh, of their sin, the hopelessness of where their sin has landed them in life. And we know that everything would change if they would just take their eyes off of the pool, off of their own solutions to the problem, and then turn to God, and yet they don't. And all of that depression and hopelessness and infirmity continues needlessly uh, in their lives. If that question, do you want to be made well, was a the the fact that there is anyone unsaved today in the whole wide world testifies to the necessity of God asking that question. People don't want to be made well as much as we can sometimes think they want to be made well when it will require. Uh, uh, god to do the, the making well, and will require a different life to be lived as a result. And so we see here in the Gospel of John, uh, we see uh, god 's sovereignty being manifest, we see human responsibility also in play here. A- and so God Jesus makes the offer, asks the question of him, and then uh, the man has to be willing to receive what Jesus is offering. the man answered him, and he said, Sir, I have no man to put me uh, into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps uh, down before me. Now, what he does is interesting, because he proceeds to answer a question that Jesus never asked him. And so, uh, Jesus asked, Do you want to be made well? And the man answered the question, why haven't you been made well? That's not the question that Jesus posed uh, to him, uh, and, and it's not the question that Jesus uh, asks of any of us uh, in our life. And so his answer, do you want to be made well, is just a series of explanations for why he hasn't been made well yet. Um, uh, my illness, my sickness that I have here, and, and uh, nobody puts me in the pool uh, when it, it stirs. Somebody always beats it, me to it. My life is a mess, and, and my, my situation is desperate because of my circumstances, because of my environment, because uh, the people have failed me all around me uh, in, in my life, and, and I've been taken advantage of through these 38 years. But... But those are all answers to a question that Jesus isn't asking here. And so when Jesus offers us salvation, and he offers us a changed life, he never asks us for an explanation for our broken condition why our lives are the mess that, that they are, why we haven't made ourselves well already. He just simply asks us the question, yes or no, uh, do you want to be made well? Jesus is very well aware of all of our histories, why our life is in, is in the mess that it is in when, when he enters the scene now to offer salvation. He doesn't need an, an explanation. You think about, again, how often we can run into uh, in, in, uh, interactions with unsafe family or, or friends uh, that haven't yet become saved, and there's that, that convinced that the solution to all of their fears, all of their problems, uh, all of their anxiety is is some... A miracle of their own choosing. And you watch them go from, you know, uh, put their hopes in one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, end up being disappointed, the next thing disappointed, next thing disappointed. A- and then they begin to vent all of their frustration over how much worse their situation uh, is getting. We try to encourage them uh, in the middle of it. It's going to be okay. And, and, uh, and uh, let's see, don't give up and all. And then so often what we, can do as a christian when the circumstances are because of past sin circumstances we've made for ourselves and what we'll try to do is we'll try to make them comfortable in that false hope that they have so we'll give them money to get them by i'm not saying that there isn't a place for that but not for years and years and years and there's no improvement or we'll do this or we'll do that and what happens is their entire focus is on that pool rather than upon god for their the need in their life and then we join them in that and we join them in the assessment of the pool and maybe next time and you'll get that ticket at the 7-eleven and get the 69 billion dollars or whatever the the thing is and so we find ourselves trying to to keep hope alive in them uh, by engaging the false hope that they're engaged in rather than just simply saying do you want to be made well not why are you here and and how does this pool play in you getting out jesus says do you want to be made well and God will change your life overnight. I don't know all of the circumstances that will occur, but He will do that if you want to be made uh, well. And and we can find ourselves silent in terms of speaking about what the real solution and, and the need is. And I, I talk about it every so often, but sometimes I wonder if uh, is, is some of my kids and grandkids and and others just look at me and look at Karen and, you know, we've been Christians all of these years and it has to be a God gene. And, uh, you know, we came from perfection and then at the height of our life, you know, we became Christians and, and uh, they just had this bent toward God that, you know, that's like one in a billion, so don't take that so seriously and all. And we know the miracle that God has done in our lives. We know what He pulled us out of. We know how He changed our lives, how He made us well, not perfect, but He made us well. And then so often it, it, it is they, they, uh, they look at us and they, they want to, that's what they, they conclude. And, and yet we can keep silent and and say to them listen i don't have a god gene you are in the same place i was in back in 1980 my life a mess because of my own decisions and my own sin and you want to keep talking about this pool and who's failed you how bad the environment is around you I could only find one answer to the mess I had made of my life and that was Jesus Christ and that is all I have to offer you. He is the solution to your needs right now and yet we won't say it. We'll just talk endlessly about maybe getting this and going over here. Is there an opening over here for this kind of help and this kind of thing? Rather than just speaking out and saying, if you want to be made well, there's a spiritual birth that is waiting for you, that is there for the asking. And uh, I, uh, uh, you look at my life, you see what God has turned my life uh, uh, into, and, uh, and you must know the reason for it. It wasn't because I was able to analyze all the pools I was around, why I was in my condition, get it all sorted out in my life, and then hit the lottery. It was because I came to know God. And if you can find something better out there than that, you come back and tell me, but I haven't seen anything better than, than that out there. And to just let people know. And so here he is as he, he looks and his excuses and his reasons and, and his, uh, his, his lamenting in, in, in all of it. And then the Lord spoke to him in verse 8, rise up, take up your bed and walk. So he ignores all of that. And somewhere Jesus in his grace, and he's so gracious with us, Jesus heard a yes in there. Convoluted Yes you want to be made well? Okay, I think there's a yes in there somewhere. So, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and he walked. And so when Jesus gives us a command to do something, he gives us the power uh, to do it. And uh, this man operated on that and uh, took up his bed or his mat and then began to walk away from that entire environment. Jesus called on him to take up his mat or take up his bed because Jesus was saying, you're done here. You don't, don't save your space. You can imagine if you're in that environment and, and uh, you're going to want to kind of double your, your bets here a little bit. Okay, I'm up and I'm walking. He's allowed me to do that but I'm going, to, I'm going to hedge this thing by leaving my mat in my place because I can't afford to lose that. I mean, if I haven't been in the pool in 38 years and I lose my place, I'm never going to get in that pool. But Jesus says, you're done. This, this is over. This, is not, this will never be a part of your life again. And so take your mat and move on from here. I've got something entirely different for, for you. And he did so. And then there is a problem. He did it on the Sabbath uh, day. And so he, number one, he he gets the attention now. Uh, This man is walking now through Jerusalem and he's carrying his mat. So Jesus has violated not the law of Moses, but the interpretation of the law of Moses by the Jewish religious leaders in number one, healing the man on the Sabbath day, and number two, compelling him now to carry a burden to carry his his mat. And the Jews therefore said to this man <clears throat> who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry uh, your bed. And so they stop him immediately. <clears throat> and They're upset now that their interpretation of the Sabbath law is being being broken and is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them and said, "Uh, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. So he informs them uh, of the miracle that's occurred in his life. And uh, it's kind of like, uh, Guys, you had 38 years. to help me just to help me let alone to produce this change in my life and you never did anything and the man who healed me told me to take up my bed and walk i think i'm going to listen to him and i'm going to obey him and so he does and they said to him who is this man that said to you take up your bed and walk so now they realize they've got a bigger problem than this walking advertisement for jesus's power to heal now they want to go after the source of of this violation of their interpretation of the law of moses but the one who was healed he didn't know who jesus was when jesus came on the scene it was like okay there's jesus He didn't know who he was. For Jesus, after he had healed him, he, he had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. And afterward, Jesus then found him in the temple. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. He gets healed, and where's the first place he goes? To the temple. Now, you put yourself in his shoes, and you've had... 38 years to think about what would be the first thing I would do if I ever got healed. And in his mind, after 38 years, he said, I'm going to make a beeline to Mr. T's. And there's a lot of things that people would think, I would just love to go and have a, a big breakfast at IHOP or I'd like to go on this vacation or whatever. He had distilled in 38 years, if I am ever healed, the one place, the first place I would go to is to go and worship God, whole and healthy among God's people. And so that's, that's what he did. And it says an awful lot about him in um in in that regard and I, I tell you i i understand it if i <clears throat> we don't always have a choice when we come to the end of our lives if the lord tarries and um but if you get to that place where okay uh, now i'm kind of in the house or i'm bedridden or uh now i can't get out uh if i could have one one more chance to go one more place in the whole wide world, uh, if I was able to do it, it would be church. It would be for me to fellowship with you, not even behind this. Just to be in the room with you. And to be together and worship the Lord and grow in the Lord together. And, and this is the kind of heart uh, that he had. he had. really He hadn't wasted his 38 years at all. And afterwards, as Jesus found him there, in the temple, He said to him, You have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And so here we see clearly that the man's uh, healing, or his uh, disease, was because um, uh, because of sin in his life. And Jesus warns him, You've been made well. It's a miracle. It's not partial. There's not going to be a relapse. You've been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. If there was a silver lining to being infirmed for 38 years, the silver lining would be, there's not a lot of sin you can get into. It would really keep you from the opportunity to sin. That's all going to change for him now. He's been made well. He's been made healthy. And now all of the things and whatever the thing was that put him in this infirm condition, now he is healthy enough to engage in all of it. One more time. And don't think the devil wouldn't, wouldn't come to him and say, you've got 38 years of committing this sin that you love so much to catch up on. And Jesus comes in and says, you've been made well, now you stay well. Because what sin, the, the, what sin did to you at the beginning, it will do to you again if you return to it. And so God doesn't come and change our lives, do the, the greater miracle of us being born again change our lives, get our lives in order, free us up from all these addictions and all of these kinds of different things uh, in order that we would then return to those sins that put us in such a desperate condition. And so we play a part in, in our own continuing uh, it, it, to be healthy spiritual sin no more lest a worst thing come upon you and the man departed and he told the jews that it was jesus who had made him well and for this reason the jews threw a party for jesus and uh, recognized him as messiah and the son of god no for this reason the jews persecuted jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the sabbath talk about a hard heart And these were the representatives uh, for God uh, in the nation of of Israel. This is their reaction to what has happened here. No looking at it and going, well, you know, uh, we think that we're anointed by God and we think that we're God's spokesman, and we think that we're God's chosen and favored instruments and yet we were never able to help that man uh, even remotely in the way that Jesus has done this uh, maybe he 's got something to teach us. maybe he is the Messiah, maybe he is the Son of God. There is none of that in, in this. And then Jesus answered them, and he said, "My father has been working uh, now uh, uh, until now, and I have been working, and therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath but he said that God was his Father, making himself." equal with God and so Jesus uh, addresses what uh, the Jewish religious leaders ought to have learned the conclusions they should have come to related to the miracle and uh, and so he says my father has been working until now and I have been working this miracle that I just did I did by virtue of the leading and the power of God the Father you think you have a beef only with me but you have a beef with him as well. Jesus uh, said elsewhere, I do only those things that please the Father. Everything he spoke, everything he did was uh, being directed by, by the Father. And so here they are, they're rejecting Jesus the Son, but they're wanting to claim a familiarity and, and a reverence and respect for the Father. And Jesus said, no, you can't have it both ways. Uh, this, this is how it works everything you saw me do or heard about me do to that man that was infirm for 38 years, that happened because the father uh, accomplished that uh, uh, through me. And so the reason that you don't know me is because you don't know the father. And that, of course, would have been a a great affront uh, to them. And uh, so here he declares himself equal with the father and uh, in in what he had done and then therefore they sought all the more to kill him not only because he broke the sabbath but also that god was his father making himself equal with god now the jehovah witnesses say that um, in the bible jesus never declared himself to be uh, the son of god Uh, or or uh, ascribed a deity to himself. Well, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He did it in lots of places. But here's another one of those places that clearly the Jewish religious leaders understand him to be saying that he is equal with God the Father. And then Jesus answered and he said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now, if you're going to reject me, you're going to have to reject the Father as well. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does, and He will show himself, uh, uh, show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to who He will. And so, what could be a greater miracle that uh, God the Father would accomplish through the Son, then healing this man infirm for 38 years, raising people from the dead. And that's what Jesus is going to do as His uh, ministry uh, progresses. And Jesus tells them, you're going to see the Father use me in this way in even greater ways. And then He uh, lets them know that the fa- uh, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to uh, the Son. Uh, that, and for the reason that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father uh, whom He uh, sent. And so Jesus declared His equality with the Father and His uh, authority to uh, judge. He lets them know, All judgment uh, is is mine. The Father has delegated that, so to speak, um, to me. Now, the one thing you never want to do in life, on a purely physical level, is you never want to poke, if you're in court, the judge in the eye. You never want to make the judge to be in any way biased against you, or uh, to see what a nincompoop that you are. You work very hard to please the judge because your future is in the hand of the judge. And he's letting them know, you're treating me this way, you think you're the judge of me. But in fact, one day you will stand before me and I will judge you. So, and the Father has made it so. So you ought to think twice about how you treat me and how this is viewed from the vantage point of heaven. And verily, verily, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death uh, into life. And most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Salvation is found not only in the Father, but it is found in the Son as yet the father has life in himself uh, and so uh, he has granted the son to have life in himself none of us has life in ourselves Uh, so the interpretation of the Jewish religious leaders concerning uh, the Sabbath was that uh, God, God wouldn't heal on the Sabbath because God took the Sabbath the Saturday off Can you imagine if God took uh, Saturdays off? We wouldn't come out of our house. And and the Bible teaches that by Jesus, all things consist. Our bodies are held together by Him. God never takes a, a day off in what He's doing. And the Sabbath, one of the points Jesus was making is, the Sabbath wasn't made for God. God doesn't have to honor the Sabbath. It's not made for him. It was made for man. So that there would be something institutional in which men and women would look and say, one day a week I can feel free in the middle of commercial Babylon to have a day set aside for God and, and to nurture my relationship with, with him. And and, and, so, uh, uh, and so God is here when he speaks about the fact that, that life is in himself. We're, we don't have life in ourselves. We are dependent upon all kinds of things for life. God isn't in his existence. He is self-existent. He doesn't need anything or anyone else to exist. And the same thing is true of Jesus. And has given, verse 27, His authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice. Again, speaking about this coming judgment. And uh, they will come forth, those who have done good to resurrection of life, and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of of condemnation Jesus will uh, be at the head of that judgment I can of myself do nothing Jesus said as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me ladies and gentlemen he's saying to the Jewish people what you are seeing is not just me everything you see me do is the father You can't separate the two. If you're going to reject me, you have to reject the Father. And then Jesus moves on and and He addresses these leaders uh, further by calling other witnesses to testify to His claim to be Messiah and the Son of God. He said, if I bear witness of myself, why my witness is not true. Under the law of Moses... Uh, Every fact was established on the basis of two or more witnesses in a court of law. You couldn't have somebody sentenced to death or sentenced to prison term or whatever it might be based upon one person's word against another. You needed two witnesses to establish a fact. So they're looking at uh, Jesus, what he's saying here, and they're saying, well, that's what you say. And by the way, the law of Moses, and we like Moses and we don't like you. And the law of Moses said, you need to have two or or more witnesses for a fact to be established about anything, even concerning your claim to be the Messiah and the Son of God. Jesus says, there's no problem there. I will bring forth four other witnesses other than myself to the truth of this concerning myself. And they should all be witnesses that you would accept. And the first witness that he, that he brings forth is John the Baptist. You, uh, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth concerning Jesus. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing uh, for a time to rejoice in his life. You liked John. You liked what he was about. You liked the call to repentance. You were, the, the, the appeal that he had to the common man appealed to you. And you liked him and you listened to him until he said what you didn't like to hear. That I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he, John the Baptist began to talk about me in the way that I'm talking about me to you now, you didn't like the message and you left. But that witness is still a true witness. And then there was the witness of Jesus' miracles, verse 36, for I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works uh, that I do bear witness of me uh, that the Father has uh, sent me. And so uh, the miracles, nobody was doing miracles like this. Only God could do the miracles that were being uh, uh, done and ought to have caused them to realize. Anyone with an open mind would say, uh, with Jesus teaching that He's the Messiah, that He's the Son of God, all of it being confirmed with signs and wonders. And, an honest heart would have said, uh, only God can do these things. This is, this is God's favor in terms of these miracles that are being done. Uh, it's God's amen to His claims. And then He moves formally to the witness of, of God the Father, to who he is, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. <laughs> so, uh, he's, 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 I've come from heaven, I know the Father well. I've seen him, I've heard him firsthand, you have never even gotten remotely that close to him. But you do not have his word abiding in you uh, because whom he sent, uh, uh, him you do not uh, believe. You don't, despite the Father's witness to uh, to the fact that I am who I am. The reason you're in the situation that you're in is because you choose not to believe, and you search the Scriptures for in them you think you have everlasting life. But these are they which testify of me, and the fourth witness he calls is the Scriptures concerning. Uh, himself is a witness to him as the Messiah and as the Son of God. 300 prophecies Jesus fulfills in his first coming, Old Testament prophecies, from being born uh, in, in the city of Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, uh, all the way to being betrayed by a good friend, being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and so forth and so forth. And the scriptures testify, Old Testament uh, scriptures testify to him in a supernatural way. That he is who he claimed uh, that he was the jewish religious leaders of course they turned the scriptures the old testament scriptures on their head and uh, that's why jesus gives the warning here you search the scriptures for in them you think you have everlasting life you have wrongly interpreted the law of moses you think that god gave you the law of moses so that in keeping the law of moses you can qualify yourself Uh, to be uh, uh, ready, uh, sufficient to enter into heaven. But the law of Moses testifies of me. And it testifies from one end to the other. It speaks of the Messiah that God would send into the world who would then equip us to be able to have a relationship with God and fit us for heaven. So their eyes were completely off of the coming of the Messiah and assessing Jesus honestly as the Messiah, all they wanted to do was stay in the law of Moses. But because they had made it a a means of establishing self-righteousness, they never thought to to, uh, assess Jesus' life based upon the law of Moses. And so Jesus gives them these four witnesses to everything that He uh, has said and then He tells them the four reasons for their rejection of Him. But you are not willing to come to Me. This is not about proof. This is not about uh, uh, that uh, God hasn't given you what you ought to for faith. You simply are not willing to come to Me that, that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. In other words, what you do with Me makes no difference in the big picture. I am who I am and I am what I am. Whatever any human being, even scribes and Pharisees, think of me. And then the second reason for their rejection, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. They loved religion. They loved ritual. They loved tradition. They loved their interpretations of the law of Moses. They loved all of the settings, all of the pomp, all of the circumstances, all of the reputation, all of the money that could be made, but they didn't love God. Because if they loved God, they would have followed uh, Jesus. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Now that verse 43 is given in the context of the Jewish people recognizing Jesus As the Messiah. And he said, I came in my own name, and you wouldn't accept me. There's another that's going to come in your history, and him you will accept. And here he's talking about the Antichrist during the tribulation period, where for the first three and a half years, before their eyes are opened up to the folly of the fact that the Antichrist is not the Christ for them, uh, they will. Uh, as he comes in his own name they will receive him for that time when we when we reject the truth we are vulnerable oh we're we're vulnerable to lies then at that point and and that's true of the spiritual realm as well how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes uh, from god alone so the third reason that that they rejected him is they were more concerned about receiving honor from one another than honor from God. We talk today about the echo chamber in the media, don't we? So the liberal media has its echo chamber. People tune into those channels and they hear everything that they want to hear and it's over and over and over and over again. And then make sure that you're not exposed to another view. Conservatives go to their channels and they do the same kind of thing. And then all a person is exposed to is what they want to hear. And what they want people to say to them, and that, uh, and the only thing worse than that is a religious echo chamber that is going on. And and here, uh, all they cared about is who likes me, who doesn't? Am I moving up in the religious machine? And uh, all of that was more important than than seeking honor that comes from uh, God. And then fourth, do you think? Uh, do not think that I shall uh, uh, accuse you to the Father. Uh, there, uh, no need to. For there is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. They revered Moses. For if you believed Moses, you would believe Me. For he wrote about Me. But if you do not believe his writings, how can you believe uh, My words? And so, uh, the, uh, the big reason for their rejecting uh, of Jesus, the fourth reason that's given here, is uh, their disrespect for Moses. They took Moses and they turned him into a tool to advance and conform to their religious system. There was no real respect for uh, Moses. If there was, uh, then they would have uh, turned and and saw Jesus in those first five books of, of the Bible and uh, that uh, were uh, lay out from genesis and on i mean the fall of man the need of a, a savior going to be sent the need for salvation all of it speaking uh, of christ and and they would have been looking for christ and recognizing how uniquely qualified jesus uh, was and is uh, as as the messiah and the savior of the world well of course we'll stop there tonight and i've gone two minutes over and um, just so you know Let's stand together and let's close in prayer in a song.